Oh, hi guys. Welcome to another episode of Diminishing Returns, the podcast in which we discuss a film or franchise and then propose our own ideas for sequels. A very special episode this week as we take on a cult favourite that has found life as a midnight movie. It is, of course, The Room. Commonly referred to as one of the best worst films ever made, The Room was a vanity project self-funded by Tommy Wiseau, a man as mysterious as his accent. It really is a film that defies explanation and needs to be seen to be believed. But if you've never seen The Room, then don't worry too much because this episode is not exactly about the film itself, but more the man behind it. This is a fascinating story of when creative ambition and artistic talent do not match. This episode contains spoilers for everything Tommy Wiseau has ever been in. Uh, that pretty much makes it The Room and Best Friends. Enjoy! Oh, hi, Alan. Oh, hi, Saul. Oh, hi, Calvin. The test results came back. I definitely have breast cancer. Oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. <laughs> You're my favorite customer. <laughs> We're just doing random quotes now. This is going to be a tough one to get through, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I, I, we, we've talked about this offline, and I've sort of said before that I, I, I kind of don't want this just to be a series of badly done, badly impersonated quotations from the film because I think we're better yeah, than that. Because that's what let's get, let's get them all out of our system. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Look, it's it's Tommy Wiseau Bond. <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so yes, we're doing The Room. It's a harrowing tale of a uh, a young boy who's born in a... <laughs> A uh, well, a, a small confined space. His mother was uh, kidnapped and repeated. Saul, I'm going to have to like... stop you there. I'm afraid you've made a, a a major error. We are not doing room as you appear to think. We're doing. Oh no! We're doing the room uh, by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> oh. oh no! Oh no! You've done the wrong oh. research. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the room is a harrowing tale of. Um, <laughs> A madman who decided that if no one else would put him in a film, he'd make his own, goddammit. And that is the American dream, so fair play. Yes. And the reason yeah. why we've gotten to this now is because there is a film coming out, a dramatization of the making of The Room, called The Disaster mm-hmm. Artist, starring James Franco. An adaptation of the book of the same name yes. by uh, Greg Sestero, is that how you say it? Sestero, I think. Yeah, and this is very interesting because I think it's going to be a good episode because we've got the film itself. There's a lot of talking points on that. Mm. And I think it's one of those things that's probably been talked about so much that we don't need to worry about that too much. But I'd definitely like to talk about, yeah, the making of it and and Tommy Wiseau in general uh, because there's some very interesting things there. I'm I'm kind of looking forward to watching The Disaster Artist because I think Mm. it's a really interesting story, very interesting character at its centre. Yes. what I've seen of the trailers, I'm not that convinced by, I will admit. But I've still got hope. 
and you know Seth Rogen, yeah, James I... Franco, they they know what they're doing. But my my worry is that they are perhaps a little self indulgent. Um, <laughs> I uh, well, it's not a it's not just a. I think Seth Rogen's in it. I don't think he's that much to do with this one creatively. I think oh, you're thinking of the sort of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg yeah, uh, partnership be that's probably. led to stuff but like this, this is the end. This is just James Franco wanking well, himself off in front of a mirror film. Yeah, but I mean, I, I like, I, you know, I. Number one, this film's already getting really good buzz from festival mm. screenings and stuff. That's the biggest reason why I'm willing to believe it's great. <laughs> it's meant to be more than just a joke. Which is what it could have very easily been. It could well, have been that's what just I'm a comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's meant to be more of an Ed Woods style look at. Um... Well, and, and having having read the book, The Disaster Artist, mm. that's what I'm hoping for because there is it is a really interesting story. I would recommend the book. In fact, oh yeah, to it's anyone great. Who's a, a fan of the room, and so I think there really is an interesting story there. And an interesting character yeah. development. So I do hope they make the most of it. I'm sure they will. Mm. But it's just the, the and, trailers and perhaps it. are just focusing on oh looks, it's funny. Well, so which is fair enough, you know. You I think so far it. it's basically just yeah, they they are just kind of like, Hey, have you guys seen or heard of this mad film, The Room? Well, we're doing a film about that. Lol. Well that's and I think it. As probably much, more as, much to as it is a an uh, cult favourite, it is a cult favourite, not a mainstream yeah. thing. So yeah, I guess they've got to yeah. just sell it as a comedy. So let's go back to the actual original film, The Room. Yes. yes. Um, which, for the uninitiated, it, it, it's, it kind of has to be seen to be believed. Because if I try and give a plot synopsis, it's not going to sound like anything interesting. Um, plus, I think in summation, I'd, I'd probably make it make more sense than it does. Is that possible? <laughs> what is, what, like, broad strokes, what is the plot? There's a guy in love with a woman. She's cheating on him. With his best friend. And... And that causes that comes a lot of out, and, and then he kills himself. Trauma. Spoiler alert! I mean, that's like yeah, the main the plot end. thread, but there's all these weird subplots about their neighbor yeah. Denny, who's this young lad who's got involved in drugs, and then there's the woman's mum who has cancer, mm. and there's other people popping in and out. They're playing football a lot outside. Well, you you say subplots as if they go somewhere. Yeah, no, no. I actually there <laughs> are there are other there are other scenes. More apt <laughs> there are other scenes in between the. Um, I mean, it really is just a short film that has these non-sequitur scenes spliced in, and so many scenes are just repetitive. There are a lot of scenes of the um, the girlfriend character just babbling on to her mum about how she's not in love with Johnny, Johnny. anymore. Yeah, Tommy Wiseau plays Johnny. and There's a, there's a lot of uh, quite gratuitous sex scenes as well. Yes. Gratuitous in the sense that they don't need to be there, and they go on far longer than anyone could possibly want. <laughs> Well, again, I, I think that, because I, I read The Disaster Artist as well, and I think it's an essential companion piece to The Room, because it, it can't give rational uh, reasoning for any of the bizarre decisions and uh, uh, scenes in the film, but it does give, it, it hints at sort of where germs of ideas maybe came from and got into Tommy Wiseau's head, and maybe that's why it appears in the film as it right. does. Um, in terms of the auteur theory, I mean, this is <laughs> the product of one mind, this film. It is, it yeah. is an artistic vision. Uh, I mean, albeit a mad one, but yeah. it is a, a reflection of Tommy Wiseau and, and, and uh, of his subconscious and perhaps, perhaps in a way that mm. even he isn't aware of. And, the, and the, the book, 
really brings that out and it's it's very yeah. nicely structured in that sense. Mm, mm. And and we should say I suppose for for anyone listening who doesn't know what the room is. I mean the big thing we haven't mentioned yet is that it's famously one of the worst films ever made. Yes. Uh, in in you know you you look up a list of the worst films ever made, it's almost certainly going to be on there. There's a good chance it'll be number 1. Um it's like the, it, well this it... troll 2 uh yeah. birdemic <laughs> Manos, The Hands of Fate. Mm. I've just looked it up and it's not currently on IMDb's bottom 100 films of all time. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, I can imagine why people would rate it well, because yeah, yeah, if you want me to talk about like some of the best cinema experiences Mm. I've had in my life, both times that I've seen this with an audience in a cinema, it's it's been wonderful. The whole thing's been absolutely hilarious. Mm. Try watching it by yourself. It's really dull and doesn't work (laughs) at all. It's a classic midnight movie, I suppose. I was, I was, gonna, I made a similar uh, kind of the opposite note kind of thing. Like, if you have only watched this at, a, at the cinema with that experience, I would recommend just sitting down and watching it because you really get the detail of just how bad it is. Like, you can really appreciate it without the distractions. <laughs> like, because there's so many other like lines and plot elements that you go that you miss. It is even worse than you think it is, <laughs> and so it's worth it's worth sitting down and watching it just for the experience. Mm. I think. Mm. Oh, I've tried. I I haven't been able to do yeah. it. Like more than twenty minutes, oh, I just can't yeah, it's not do easy it. To do. <laughs> yeah, I know that you and I saw it together for the first time, Calvin. Were you yes. with us, Alan? I was. Yes. Okay, so all three of us saw it. Wow, is that a first for this show that we all went to see the film together? together. Maybe no, yeah. we yeah, no. I'm sure we've had this conversation before. Where it was something else, and we said, "Oh, mm. that's the first time we." But we must have seen a Harry Potter together or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so all all three of us went to a, a screening of the film, and about twenty twenty ten. Do you think twenty eleven something like that? Yeah, and oh, I would say ago. that is that is the way to certainly for the first time experience this film. Mm. Uh, they handed out plastic spoons on entry and uh, little like pamphlets explaining how to watch the film. <laughs> and do you remember the rules? That there was something like whenever a spoon is on screen, yes. throw your spoons at the the cinema screen. Yes, um, yes. Uh, every time the establishing shots of uh, San Francisco pop up, you had to shout "Meanwhile" in San Francisco. There were there were a whole load of drinking game style rules to it, mm. uh, and I made a point of having a few drinks before I went in. I, I don't know about you two, uh, but it certainly <laughs> it was certainly that kind of a an experience, and it it, yeah. it was great, really great fun. Mm. Um, but even even beyond the like sort of like the games that they give you in the pamphlet and whatever just like general comments that people would shout out from the audience yeah. would like really add to the experience and normally that's a dreadful thing to happen in a mm. in a cinema uh and then obviously there were a couple of groaners but for the mo- for the most yeah. part i remember people were being quite witty with what they were uh, yeah. shouting out and like you say it's a great experience you, and and it's fun and you shout things at the screen and stuff like that but you know i'm not that keen on um fun uh, in people yeah and <laughs> and i really just like so when i went to see it the time, this last time it did just wind me up a little bit and and one of the main things was obviously people shout at the screen and stuff but there was one guy particularly throwing out a lot of gags a lot of lines and getting laughs and stuff like that but it was like don't 
do this as if you're like mystery science theater, like comedy genius. You know, you've seen this film loads of times. You've been to the screenings and seen other people shouting. You're just, you're, and he's just like, I can imagine him sitting there desperately waiting for the thing. Oh, I know what my next line's going to be. I know what it is. Mm. And it's yeah, just but that's, like... that's what watching mystery science theater's like as well. Yeah, all right. You know what I mean? I use that as a, as a reference point, just as like original material. I bet, I bet he was funnier than they are. But my point is that it wasn't his material. It wasn't his gags. It wasn't like he was like seeing something no, and reacting and going, oh, I've got a good line about that. But he was kept shouting out like he was a fucking comedy genius. And it was hey, me up. look at pictures of spoons much? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the level we were talking about. And it, I just whenever I see a group of people kind of all laughing at the same thing, I just think, <laughs> what a bunch of twats. <laughs> Does that just does that just go for this film or just everything? No, anything where anything where I think it's it's not funny. <laughs> I could I could hear him winding up, like ready to say something, like he couldn't wait to get out because he knew he had to get it out before one of the other thirty people said it because they've all been to the screening loads of times and knew all the lines as well. Yeah, you know, I never really thought of it like that, but yeah, I remember like when I saw the Prince Charles, there was one guy who he was very funny, mind, and there wasn't, you know, yeah, but... there were a couple of groaners at certain points, but they, if someone shouted out something and then didn't get much of a laugh, they were just very quiet and didn't say anything again. Whereas, <laughs> I love that uh... bit. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but you whereas guys it saw it in London, like... and there's gonna yes. like half the cinema is gonna be like aspiring stand-up comedians who wanna like. <laughs> promote their well, podcast it, it, with it, it, uh, it is right <laughs> next door to a, a comedy club isn't it There's yeah a comedy club next door and that's um, I, i'm so glad i saw it in one of the smaller screenings to be honest because i would hate that kind of prepared lines and people who've seen it before and i would guess when we saw it that it was the first viewing for 90 percent plus of yeah people exactly oh yeah yeah we were just at the start of that sort of coming over to England, yeah, I would say, yeah. especially that kind of a screening. I know it had been going on in LA from, from like the mid-noughties onwards, yeah. but I think it only really broke out in sort of 2009, 2010, yeah. in England anyway. And plus, like, just the simple thing of, like, they did a Q&A at the beginning. Okay, the, the guys weren't really interested anyway. But the people asking the questions are just like, you know, it's like, there's ten people there, maybe one of you actually got an interesting question. Yeah, that, that see, that always annoys answer. me. And we were just like, yeah. oh, what's it like working with Tommy Wiseau? Oh, God, is I it, hate it. Is he it. as mad in real that. life as you think he is? That does my nothing. I, I oh god! But they think they're so funny and clever as well, and they're like looking at their mates, like going, hey, "I'm asking a question." And there's, <laughs> and there's people yeah. who just like just want to interact with the person, and it's even worse when they when they just ask the what's what's your most embarrassing moment? <laughs> just yeah. like fucking hell, ask something interesting. Like we can, yeah, try and ask a question that will get an answer, <laughs> an interesting answer, not just a, the same old shit. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, yeah. but anyway, so um, hmm. other people annoying. Um, well, I had a couple of great screenings anyway, but I think the Leeds one was the uh, the better mm. one, probably because it was sort of fresher then. And yeah, mm. yeah. So, so Tommy Wiseau basically raised an obscene amount of money to make his passion project. I mean, you guys will know better than I do because you've read this book. But my understanding is he was pissing around in the kind of drama scene, Amdram, trying to make it as a an actor and a director and stuff for a while. Eventually, like raised enough money through his own businesses and stuff, not through oh. investors like you generally would raise money for a film. 
and just made it because no one else would give him the money to do it more conventionally. From 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 the book, the impression I got was not that he had to go and fight and raise the money. He had the money. Where from, nobody knows. But he <laughs> had the money. The, the mm. only difference was him going, fuck it, I'm going to make a film then and mm. deciding yeah. to spend the money. And now that might have been a big decision to, like, who knows how much money he's got that you can yeah. just drop that kind of... Like, cause we, basically, what the, the number that's usually thrown out there is $6 million dollars. Yeah, um, and and it wasn't a well spent either. You know, it wasn't. Like, yeah, well, that's it. Wasn't it. Sensibly spent. So it's this is a this is a like a four hundred thousand dollar film. On yes, dollar <laughs> budget. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Most films like this would cost, like you say, about four hundred thousand, something like that. They would be really cheap and therefore a lot more excusable, I suppose. Um, mm. Certainly to a point. Because you know you can't expect the same sort of thing from them. The fact that this film costs that much allegedly is flabbergasting, and it's because, like you say, it wasn't spent well. Uh, one of the big stories that is often touted up is that it was shot simultaneously on HD yes. and film at the same time, yes. which is—I mean—that's that's as good as going to double your budget working mm. at those levels and it, they just did it because Tommy Wiseau didn't understand the difference between the two and but it's it's not that but the thing is like he had to have a, a special rig like made to to hold both cameras at the same time like he had to have things specially made yeah. to to facilitate this so it's not like no one said anything it's not like he was doing this and no one and everyone just went oh let's just leave him to it yeah it was questioned and he went no nah, i'm doing it this way fuck off yeah, the impression that you get from the book is that the crew around him are actually like, yeah, they, they you know, some of them were professionals and working on, you know, oh, TV yeah. and good short films and that kind of stuff. And there are people around him sort of trying to reason with him and understand his yeah. reasoning and just not getting anywhere with it. So just to give a bit more backstory to Tommy Wiseau, mm. he is he has a vaguely European accent. No one really knows where he's from. Um, the general idea seems to be that he was born like behind the the Iron Curtain and, and struggled his way out uh, and had a very difficult young life and so then went to America and fell in love with America where he was able to kind of do anything and, and find his fortune he's the, and he's a big believer in the American dream and all that and he's a very proud American uh, so that's kind of his story but he was uh, he's some kind of businessman <laughs> he owns property in, in like a substantial amount of money Nobody really knows why <laughs> or how, but he, he's he got money from somewhere. He wants to be an actor. He's a very bad actor. He goes to acting classes and his, doesn't... His style of acting is utterly unique. It's uh... yeah. yeah, it's not just bad acting, is it? It's more, yeah, more to it, it than that. That's the thing. It's There's bad acting where, you know, there's acting where it doesn't quite ring true. There's bad acting where, you know, it's just completely lifeless and emotionless and the mm. person isn't emoting. But Tommy Wiseau, it's, I mean, it's neither of those, really. It's its not on that yeah. usual level of acting spectrum. It, it, it's, it's its own thing. It, it, it's like he's emoting it like an old children's cartoon. But then that seems to be how he talks, just normally. Like, he well, kind of exactly. talks you, like this everywhere. If you actually see him speak and the way he behaves... Yeah, his acting makes a lot more sense. It is much more of a true reflection, in that sense. And that's the thing; like, he's actually doing quite a good performance of <laughs> yeah. how he is. 
Unfortunately, <laughs> he is not like anyone else. <laughs> but he just kind of talks like not a real human being. He kind of yeah. is, it's it's bizarre. It, it, he he is just utterly alien. I mean, he he does. He, I mean, he delivers the lines as as if he doesn't speak English and he's learned the words by rote. So yeah. he's saying the words. The emphasis in the wrong places. Uh, there's no kind of meaning behind any of it. That's how he pronounces it. But he does speak English theoretically. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be. Well, he seems to be very fluent in English, but mm, sometimes questionably. Yeah. yeah. When I went to a screening and they did a Q and A, him and Greg Sestero were there. The impression I got from that was that maybe he doesn't speak English <laughs> because right. he, he certainly wasn't sort of responding to any of the questions in in the sense that he'd understood them in any real sense. It's when you know you know when you do that thing where you talk to a computer and. Uh, <laughs> and, and it, and it doesn't quite understand, but it'll pick up a keyword or something. Oh yeah, but so you'll like, say, "Oh, do you want a cup of coffee?" And it goes, "Coffee is a is a hot beverage uh, flavored in many <laughs> countries." Uh, and it's like it'll it'll pick up on a word, yeah, and then yeah. just go off on a tangent. Like on smarter that. child back in the day. You know, actually, Alan, I, I I was wanting to ask you about this later on, but maybe now's a good time because I also went to the same cinema that you did about a year earlier and mm. saw the room with a Q and A with Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, the um, Prince Charles in Leicester yes, Square does it does yes. it quite regularly. Um, yes. They show the film regularly, and um, and because it's not it's London and not some like podunk Hyde Park mm. cinema, it's uh, they they can actually get people to come and do personal appearances. Well, when I went there, um, it was just Tommy. It wasn't Greg Sestero. He wasn't there. But the Q and A, it wasn't so much a Q and A so much as it was like. People were like queuing up and they're asking like really like stupid questions like why were you fucking that woman in the belly button and not in the vagina? Do you not know where it is and that kind of stuff? And Tommy's like saying, Yeah, 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 guys, come on, we got the movie to see, come on, and like just saying all these like things just to hurry up that he's like giving one word answers. He's like, Yep, 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 keep going, keep going, keep going. And then there was this one question that got asked, and I for the life of me can't remember what it was, but it obviously like really intrigued him and he gave like this really like long sort of um anecdotal answer to it and it was sort of like oh whoa that's really i I I think it was a semi-serious question about the production or something and he was just very frankly answering it and i don't know if he was just taken aback to be getting a serious question rather than just someone but but there you go see i I can i can completely buy that he's sick of just people like heckling him in the form of a question at a q a and he just kind of goes yeah 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 right next one and then when someone says, "What are your cinematic influences? What you know? Who, who is? Who would you say is the greatest auteur? And and do you mm. feel like you follow? You know, it's something that gets him thinking, and he wants to talk about. It and he, I can totally buy yeah. it. When it comes to life, and but yeah, I wanna, I wanna talk about my experience of, of going to see the film because, mm. well, funnily, funnily enough, I went to see it a few weeks back, and it was, um, I guess they were showing it. You know, the Zaster artist is coming out, so it's a lot of interest at the moment. Anyway, so. My my experience at this uh, more recent screening uh, is similar there with you, Calvin. Greg Sestero and um, Tommy Wiseau were there. Mm. Both of both of them looked like they really didn't want to be there and would rather be dead. <laughs> um, but they were dealing with it in different ways. Greg Sestero was just shut down. He's, he he had a thousand yard stare. Didn't say. Oh anything. really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and like this was like the fourth night they'd done or whatever. And it, it, I mean, he had the mad eyes of someone who spent too much time with Tommy Wiseau. Basically, that's wow. this kind of dead stare. I assume they duck out once the film starts and just go yeah, and have a yeah, kebab yeah, or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, they but they were doing all the the basically you could get your picture taken with them. I got the, I bought the book because I hadn't read the book, so I thought oh, I'll buy that. They signed it. 
And, and weirdly enough, that the book is written by Greg Sestero and a guy called Tom Bissell, who is obviously like the guy who could actually write. Yes. So Greg Sestero's got the stories. Tom Bissell's put it together. And um, and weirdly, because it says on the on the uh, the title page where they sign it, it says Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell. Mm. And Greg Sestero signed his his name and then dashed a line through his where his name is printed, like he crossed it out and signed it. Oh. I don't know why particularly, but then Tommy Wiseau signed it and crossed out Tom Bissell. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, don't know. I don't really know what that means. That sounds like Greg Sestero did it as um as a kind of like like a little joke, like look, instead of having your name printed, I'll I'll write it out by hand for you in your book. So it says you know, yeah. just like a little jokey thing to do. And then Tommy Wiseau saw it. And in his kind of alien mind of just like well, that's it. digesting know, human culture and not quite getting it, he thought, "Oh, this must be how humans interact with each other." I'll the, do the this thing too. is, though, this must be like the ten thousandth time they've signed a book together. It's not. Yes. It's not. It's not. It wasn't the first thing. But no, he, he's given me a little message here, and I'm not sure what it says. I think it says, "Love is what's loves." <laughs> <laughs> I think. I'll, I'll put. I'll, I'll take a picture of it. We can put it up on the on the Facebook or something. Can you see if can you can, can you send us a picture now so we can attempt to decipher it live on air? Possibly. Hang on. What did you say? Love is what loves. Love is what's love. I'm pretty sure there's an apostrophe s in there. <laughs> okay, it should be sending on the Facebook thing now. Uh yeah. Okay, let's. See. So we, yeah, two colon Allen. So that's Greg Sestero at the top, and then yeah. Tommy was oh crossed out Tom Bissell <laughs> and put love heart Tommy W but then right love so that's definitely love is do you know what I'm, I'm thinking now that I, I'm assuming what happened was they struck the line out but I didn't wasn't looking that closely as one signed it and passed it to the other I think probably Greg Sestero signed it over his name and then crossed out Tom Bissell so then Tommy Wiseau signed it and crossed out Greg Sestero <gasps> Oh. Would that make more sense? That would make more sense, wouldn't it? That would make more uh. sense. Are you sure Greg Sestero didn't just cross them both out? No, no, definitely they did one each, because that's what kind of my mind saw. Like what um but but then that means Greg Sestero crossed out Tom Bissell, which is that a big fuck you to that guy? What, yeah, that well if, if that's <laughs> yeah, what that happened, that's a huge fuck you to Tom Bissell. That's him basically yeah. saying Tom Bissell didn't write this, I wrote this. Yeah. And then Tommy Wiseau's cross out Greg Sestero like you're nothing without me, mate. Exactly. <laughs> Did they have? I'm, I'm, I'm look. I'm I'm poirowing this right now. Did they have different pens? Because because the brush stroke on Greg Sestero's <laughs> signature looks slightly faded and uh, not as uh, prominent as Tommy Wiseau's, as does the strike through Greg Sestero's own name. So I'm deducing in my murder she wrote circumstantial. Uh, logic that greg sistero did in fact cross out his own name i mean honestly i can't i i i'm not sure now i'm sort of questioning myself but what they both crossed out one line each definitely this does look like love is what loves love apostrophe yeah. s at the end yeah but i think there's a the what has an apostrophe s as well maybe. yeah it does look too love is <clears> anyway loves I mean that makes sense to Tommy Wiseau, so that is true, yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm intrigued by this Greg Sestero having some beef with his ghostwriter who ultimately got a credit on the book. Um, wait a minute, wait that... a minute! I, th- I think we've just made this up now through uh, 
I mean, it's it was complete... speculative. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah just complete if it's not speculative, true... and now it's like now it's a scoop. <laughs> if it's not true, they should come on the show and refute it. <laughs> I, I think or it's, sewers. I think it's true. <laughs> All the evidence. Is um, there. Well, anyway, uh, anyway, so. I mean, at no point did I see um, Greg Sestero and Tom Rousseau interact, look like they enjoyed each other's company, um, looked like they could bear to be. It was like a divorced couple, like at at their children's nativity play. Did they say anything to you when you were there? Yeah, I mean, well, Greg Sestero just said, what's your name? Oh, there you go, thanks. When he was doing the Q&A, Greg Sestero sort of stood at the back of the stage and and didn't really say anything. Mm. Tommy Rousseau took the lead. And so someone would come up and go, oh, um, yeah, when you were making the film, is there anything, why did you do this, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And he'd go, yeah, I mean, we did the film, it's here, we're going to watch it, okay? Oh, by the way, I love you all, okay, thank you. <laughs> like, there was no, there was no content. The only thing he actually answered specifically that I can think of was, someone said, if you did it again, would you do anything differently? He said, I wouldn't shoot it on two cameras. Hmm. So... <laughs> Uh, and then he did like twenty press ups on stage to prove that he was <laughs> like a fit young man. <laughs> what? He he must be like really? sixty now or something. Surely. No, because are you joking? Said, did he really do? No, that? someone someone said, "Oh, Tommy, like how do you, how do you keep in good, such good shape?" Um, and he was like, "Ah, I, I do uh, twenty press ups every morning. Hey, I'll do it now for you. Okay, I love you all." And he, and he gets down. He does twenty press ups. And then he's like, "Oh, th- hey, thank you by the way, because now I don't need to do exercise today. Thank you. I love you." <laughs> it sounds much more uh, jovial at yours than he did at mine. He was quite, uh, yeah, he didn't seem very well, pleased. It, I mean, it, it, it very much felt like he was trying to get off, but he, he appreciated he had to do a job. Like, he had to, uh, oh, okay, I have to be a clown for 10, like, what's the minimum? 12 minutes, I'll give you. Let's get off. Right, um, okay. And Greg Sestero yeah. didn't, uh, wasn't even um, bothered about that. <laughs> so, my, the the screening I went to was also a double bill. Uh, the second film was a screening of a film called Best Friends, which yes. is oh wow a new you... film. So this was a film written by Greg Sestero. Greg Sestero or Greg Sestero and Tom Bissell, <laughs> <laughs> well, who he hates. To Greg Sestero, he's um, going around every single poster of the film scribbling his name out madly because <laughs> he hates him. Greg Sestero hates Tom Bissell. They've got some real beef going. It's a feud. So yeah, it's written by <clears throat> Greg Sestero, and certainly from the way he told it, he wrote the role for Tommy Wiseau. He said, I wanted to write something that embraced his talent and use it. I'm sick of uh, doing screenings of The Room. I wanted to produce something <laughs> else we could cash in on for a while. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and it's it's obviously very low budget, and it's the, the director was there as well. Uh, he answered a couple of questions, but he didn't really have anything to say because nobody mm. knew what it was, so nobody had any relevant questions, you know? Oh, did yeah. they do a Q&A before it was shown then, not after? Yeah, well, it kind of just, it was an introduction, really. Well, actually, okay. to be honest with you, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero went up there to kind of intro it, and Tommy Wiseau dragged the director and producer up on the stage because they were like, <laughs> hey, they're here, let's get them up on stage. Uh, so <laughs> right. um, they didn't really have anything to say, and nobody knew anything about it except that the, the Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau were in well, it. This is the thing. I, I'm surprised Tommy Wiseau hasn't transitioned into being more of an actor than he has. As in, 
there's one very good reason why not. Well, yeah, but act you'd, think, you'd think all the low but Like Jason Mewes and Ted Raimi, you'd think all the low-budget horror movies out there would just be like saying, Tommy, come do a scene in our film. It'll be hilarious. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be and, a nightmare to work with, though. Like From what I re- read in the book, it sounds like he'd be genuinely uh, difficult. And maybe he wouldn't even want to do it. But that's the thing, that's him as a director. I'm I'm sure he wouldn't be that bad if it was him as an actor. But at the same time, uh... he probably doesn't want to do it. He probably does see it as beneath him. If he doesn't need the money, which I guess if he's financed a $6 million film off his own back, he probably doesn't. Uh, uh... He has done a few, though. Like he, he did pop up, he did a weird little horror short film for some people at Adult Swim that I haven't seen, but I think was like a real weird spoof. He did a a web series that Alan and I used to watch episodes of every now and then, where uh, <laughs> he he'd uh, what was it? It was like the idea was an alien had abducted him and made him play video games, and it was just him in a booth being <laughs> handed a video game controller and just being like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to win at this game," and then he'd die, and he'd be like, "Alien, you have beaten me. This is bullshit. Why are you beating me, alien?" it was just that for like 15 minutes Um, and you really got the sense that they had just kind of let the camera roll and kind of constructed a show around him Um, but like there's a few little projects like that that have managed to involve him and I'm surprised there isn't more of it you'd think he'd, I don't know, you'd think he'd be in Sharknado 4 you know? He does have an ego he does seem to think yeah, like oh, exactly. I'm doing this properly. I'm not a clown. I'm not just a chimp to to dance for you. Mm. Mm. But he is. But then it's <laughs> weird, like I say, that he's managed, like that he has popped up in anything like that. And I suppose this best friends thing is Greg Sestero's project. Partly, he probably. Yeah. Like I'm sure I'm Greg he... and that lot thought, well, this is a marketing thing. We'll get Tommy Wiseau in. It'll be funny. But. Tommy probably thought my friends are making a film and I'm going to be in it because this is what we do. We make films together. So I can understand that one. Yeah, I don't know. So what was it like? What was it? Um, well, it's essentially the premise is um, there's a man, played by Greg Sestero, who we don't get any backstory for him, but he's like he's on the streets. And I think in the opening scene, he's bleeding and stuff like he's been... Yeah, I've seen the trailer and it's... I think just him bleeding on a road, and it doesn't really explain yeah, anything. Yeah, I mean, that's that. essentially the opening of the film. And then he goes, and he just he's wandering the streets, and he's going past this place as as a, a hearse pulls into like a garage, and Tommy Wiseau gets out. Well, Tom, the character played by Tommy Wiseau, and he goes, "Hey, hey, mate, come and help me with this." And he gets him to help him take the coffin out. And so based on based on that, he, and then he goes, "Look, do you want some work? I've got work if you want it." And he goes, "Okay." And that's the that's how they meet, right? So mm. then you've got Tom Wiseau, who is um, a mortician, but so specifically he's he he makes like face masks for people, like uh, or you know that people who they want an open casket, but they look like a dead body, and so he he makes them look nice. Mm. Okay. That's he, that's what he does, and then so yeah, I mean, that, that's helping him out. There's an Oscar-winning film about that called. Uh... Departures, is it? Um, was ripe for um, making a quirky little indie film about, certainly. But that's just the premise that they, they meet. And then the story basically goes that... So this is Greg Sestero's character. He's kind of getting back on his feet. He's earning a bit of money. Like, he, he rents a place. He meets this girl and, they, and he starts dating. 
But then at the same time, he's, he's building this relationship with Tommy Wiseau. Hmm. And then he discovers that Tommy Wiseau has got this huge stash of like gold teeth. Because <laughs> when, he's dealing with the, when he's dealing with the bodies, and that, he removes and, and all the gold teeth. And he sells them in and fun, finances a glory project movie. <laughs> for sure. um, but to, no, so basically he's been a mortician for years and years and years and he's collected all these gold teeth and he's got tanks and tanks of gold teeth. And so the Greg Sestero character basically gets in touch with someone who will buy the gold to, to you know, refine it back into gold. They're, they're selling this gold and then it becomes this kind of intrigue of like, oh, is he, who's backstabbing who? Are they going to steal the money from each other? Blah, blah, blah. So it's like that, basically. Um, it's not a bad film, like in terms of a quirky little indie film. It's fine. Mm. And it's very much raised by the presence of Tommy Wiseau because <laughs> he is... He is such a character. It's like an. It's something you couldn't write. You couldn't write a character that interesting, and the way he reacts to people, and it's a much more tamed performance than in the room. It's it's interesting to watch as a Tommy Wiseau mm. uh, enthusiast, as we all are, um, because it is him like doing proper acting, and he's still not a good actor. But it is it is much more subdued and it's kind of calmer and he has this because it's just the two of them on screen a lot of the time and because they have this long history I think that comes through it it's it's quite interesting hmm. to watch I think Tommy Wiseau might have had a bit of face work done though <laughs> oh mouth, really his mouth doesn't look like well it doesn't look like a mouth but it doesn't look like it used to I think I mean we haven't really mentioned yet but up. should we just point out if anyone hasn't seen the room like he doesn't. He doesn't look like a well man in uh, in that. What are you film. talking about? He's ripped. Yeah, but look he's at his like, face. He looks like he's very pale. The book alludes to him having some kind of skin condition or a, yeah. some, certainly some kind of aversion to sunlight. But that's because he claims to be a vampire. <laughs> well, mm. But he looks like a vampire. He he looks like if Michael Jackson hadn't died and had started mm. taking testosterone to kind of be less feminine. <laughs> no, I think if, I think if you if you made a film in like 1987 that was an adaptation of an Anne Rice novel and you had a sexy vampire in it, and then uh-huh. like 25 years later you met the same guy, that's what he looks like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a, a sort of adult, yeah, <laughs> sexy vampire. <laughs> Mm. But he's like still trying to do the same look. He desperately wants to be young. Like he yes. desperately wants to be young. I think even when they were making the room in the in the book, he sort of claims he's twenty eight or something. He's clearly about forty two, um, <laughs> and looks like he's had a hard life. And mm. and the suggestion is that he has. You know, he's he's come from a difficult place. There's talk in the book of a couple of car accidents that he like he's sort of badly fucked him up. And so it may have like had physical injuries that ended up spending ages in hospital and stuff like that. So he's yeah, he's got like a kind of weary face. It's not a it's not mm. a youthful, energized face. The book it doesn't quite imply, but there's a suggestion that Tom Wiseau could be gay and that his money has come from knowing uh, older gentlemen and being the younger companion of older gentlemen in his younger days. And then and that's how he kind of ended up with a lot of money or someone left him some money or something like that. Mm. Did you what what did you take from it Calvin because it, it, it certainly didn't say that and it kind of hinted at no. it a couple of times. And it it's there's certainly an, imp- an implication that he's gay, right? Oh yeah, I definitely got that. I mean, I I don't know how much of that is just 
me reading into like yeah why would he even want to be friends with this greg sestero guy and he's just this like young 20 year old it's an extremely homoerotic film the room we should mention that i suppose is it yeah how tommy wiseau's ass Oh, it is, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, yeah, Tommy Wiseau's arse. Tommy Wiseau befriending this younger man and playing catch with him. They run around chucking a ball together. There's loads of, like, bromance well, in there. Again, this, this kind of analysis comes through the book somewhat, but the implication is what Tommy Wiseau was trying to create on screen was his idea of what his life should be. Mm. That is, he's, he's young, he's sexy, he's got great arms... Uh, he's he hangs out with his mates. They have jokes and they play football. And the thing that ruins that is a woman. And like that's mm, it's, it's kind of yeah. like that is the central tenet of this. And the only thing that's wrong in in Johnny's life is the woman. Everything else yeah, is, is all right. It's you know, it's like and 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 there's a story in the book where um, they're filming the alleyway scene where they're just tossing a football around, and everyone was mm. saying, "Tommy, why are we shooting this? It's not even relevant to." Even by your standards, it's not relevant. <laughs> yeah. and, and and all he was doing was looking at the monitor, going, "Oh, look how great my arms are! They look so I look so young." And like all mm. he was interested in was being this young, sexy guy playing with his mate, like playing football with his mates and just having a laugh and talking about women. And it's mm. like that. And he's he's like he's and that's what came through the book for me was that Tommy was always trying to create the life he never had on film. Mm. Um, and but but then the story he created was one of obviously he knew we had to put some drama in it. And the turmoil yeah. he created was a woman betraying him. Mm. Um, so, interesting you know, reading, yeah. I say, it'd be, it would be very interesting to get a, like an honest account out of him, of his life, of, of his story. Because mm. what must have gone on after... When, he made this film and he genuinely thought that he was making something great and all he had to do was make it and then people would see how yeah. great he was. They never gave him a chance so he was going to do it himself. And he was mm. going to create this great American masterpiece like The Great Gatsby. It falls completely flat and then finds life as a joke. And I, I wonder how you go mm. through that, like how he dealt with that. Because mm. again, in, in the book, it, it does seem like he has sort of emotional troubles, you know? Mm. Like, the, the film itself is kind of born out of a period of depression. Yeah. Um, in which he kind of invigorated himself by deciding he was going to create his own thing. Um, when I watched the film, I, I thought it's kind of a the obvious thing to do here and what everybody does when they talk about the room is talk about all the shit things so what i tried to do was pull some positives out of it um which oh. I'll, I'll 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 drop some at you and then uh, you know how we'll many have you it. found positives well for, for example the first thing I, I i put a note of is like it's not shying away from social taboos such as uh, voyeurism in young men uh, as we see with denny as he wants to um, yes denny who is the i think he's supposed to be 18 uh, oh no, he's old. younger than that, isn't he? Lisa said something like, "When he turned eighteen, Johnny paid, started paying for his oh. college, or something like that." It, it specifically oh, yeah. says when he turned eighteen, as in the past tense. So he must be at least eighteen. I always thought he was. Maybe it's just because of how he's act. You know, the character he, he behaves yeah. like a twelve-year-old, or. You know. But that's it. Because of Tommy Wiseau's writing style, it's hard to judge what anyone is, what their mm. motivations are. But he, he, his mm. character's introduced. We have Tommy and Lisa, who are a couple, and this character of Denny just walks in, and then when they go upstairs to have sex, he follows to watch. That's the opening scene, basically, of the film. <laughs> um, that's mm. like your introduction but, but, to but, the but world it, of the room. It's handled in a very sort of 
almost warm way, if that's possible. It's like he's it's just... It's like a sitcom. He behaves like this like little kid, yeah, just being like, ca- oh, I, I love yeah. to watch. It's like and they it's go, like, oh. Danny. It's like if a dog followed you in and was watching you having sex and you'll have to go, oh, God, I can't do this. I'm going to have to put him outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's, it's very peculiar. So this is one of the positives you've pulled up, is it? <laughs> well, I'm just saying, I was trying to find things, you know, I, I, it's, go, it's railing against from mainstream cinema. It's not shying away from these difficult topics. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, it's um, not exploring it in any way. But... I mean, I, I honestly, <laughs> I can think of maybe one redeeming positive in the film. And that is that, I mean, Tommy Wiseau, as dreadful an actor as he is, is a an inherently likable presence. I'll give him that. Do you not think? Okay. <laughs> do you not, do you... I don't think of him. I don't think of him like James Stewart as a likable. No, no, but it, he's endearing. I mean, maybe it's because he's such a weird sort of uh, underdog. What is going on? He is a bit like I, a puppy. Uh, do you not think? Uh, no, I I don't find him all that appealing. Really, I find him interesting, but not. Uh, yeah, when I think of appealing, I think of like Jennifer Tilly or. Uh, I don't know. I think Tommy Wiseau's warmer and friendlier in how he comes across than Jennifer Tilly. God. Jennifer Tilly's like <laughs> talented and, and good, but uh, Tommy Wiseau might help you move house if you asked, you know? <laughs> I don't think he would. I think he I think I think he would offer to help and then you'd be like waiting for him to show up on the day and then he'd turn <laughs> up like five hours late and move you to the wrong house. Okay, yeah, maybe. But but Jennifer Tilly would just be like, "Who the fuck are you?" and just like walk off and put a cigarette out on you. <laughs> That'd be yeah. fine. Yeah, that's what we want. Though. Um. So yeah. Um. Here's another positive I I tried to take from the film. Um. It it doesn't adhere to the sort of unrealistic beauty standards that Hollywood uh, tries to. <laughs> no, it fucking doesn't. Yeah. I mean, Greg Sest- Greg Sestero is an attractive man. Yeah. In that classic Hollywood way. Well, uh, kind of a, the running story of the book is Greg Sestero and Tommy Wiseau meeting and becoming friends. So they meet in an acting class. They're at the same level, right? And Tommy Wiseau helps Greg Sestero move to LA. He's got. A, he says, I've got an apartment. You can stay there. Keep it cheap. And then suddenly Greg Sestero, like, because he's a sexy young man, he, he, he's getting meetings. He's got his foot in the door. And Tommy Wiseau has this sort of immediate jealousy. And... You see the process of how he ended up making the film because Greg Sestero gets a, um, a SAG card, the uh, the actors' union. He gets the, he gets in the union. Yeah. And Tom Uzo is sort of jealous of this. He says like, oh, "Well, how do you get? How do I get a SAG card? How can I get a SAG card?" And he goes, "Well, if you if you're like the lead in an advert, that's a good enough credit to get one." And so then, like two months later, <laughs> Tommy Wiseau gets shows him, "Oh, I've got a SAG card." He's like, "How did you get that?" He says, "I was leading an advert." And he, Tommy Wiseau just made an advert, and he financed an advert and put himself in it. I mean, and then went to and went to SAG and said, "Hey, look, I've done an advert. Uh, can I have a SAG card?" And that is an obvious savvy. first step to where you go to making your own film because yeah. no one else will put you in one. But that's the thing. Like, if I had the money to do that, I don't think I'd waste any time not making my own film to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's a bit of a bigger gamble, isn't it? Putting six million dollars into something. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, if I had six million dollars, I'd probably just like retire and live off my six million dollars for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what 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 are the positives you have about the film, Alan? Well, we were talking about the uh, the standard, the Hollywood standards of beauty, yes. and how this does not ah yes uh, um, con- conform with them because they're putting real people on screen. Yeah, and we got distracted by talking about how sexy Greg Sestero was, but everyone else in the film, <laughs> yeah, and they're not even is... they're not even like interesting faces. It's not like The Office yeah. where. You know, they kind of go the other direction, and everyone's weird looking. But like, you kind of think, "Oh, wow, this is a character." Mm. They're all just kind of, yeah, just dumpy looking normal people. <laughs> mm. And yeah. Tommy Wiseau himself is a very odd looking man, as we've said. He's got long hair as well, yeah. that's kind of suspiciously dark and uh, kind of not not styled in any nice way. It's just sort of thrown back, and so he mm. looks kind of like. Well, he looks messy as well. But then, okay, so let's talk about Lisa. To- Tommy Wiseau is visually striking, for the record. I'll, I'll leave him out of yes. this. It's everyone else who's yes. kind of... Yeah, so, yeah, Lisa. Lisa is the lead female, and she... Uh, what's the name of the girl he plays her? Juliet Danielle. Who's not that? She was an unknown. She was, she was, she'd come from, what was it, well, Texas still or some, is. somewhere? Like, <laughs> some, yeah. She was straight off the bus. Like, she'd gone to LA to try and make it. I don't know if you remember, Calvin. I think the story was basically Tommy Wiseau. Any uh, the girls who were auditioning, like mm. he'd he'd make them like get off with him <laughs> as, as part of like the auditioning process. Like, oh no! The scene. Is this going to be the next big Hollywood scandal, Tommy Wiseau? <laughs> but because um, because she just went at it with relish rather than like shying away from it, uh, yeah. he, he, she got the part. I mean, that was pretty much what it said, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Because she was basically willing to go all in on the sex scenes and stuff like that. So, uh, well, you've got it. Yeah. It's a film where you know about sixty percent of the screen time for that role is fucking Tommy Wiseau and getting off with him <laughs> and his ass thrusting away. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so okay, let's let's talk about her. She's she's a very kind of normal looking person, uh, and unfortunately, on in a film that comes across as. TV ugly, (laughs) (laughs) which is. I mean, it 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 doesn't work because we're supposed to buy her as this sexualized, Mm. like object of desire for all the men in there. She's meant to be a real like femme fatale, like you'd get in the forties. Yes. Yeah, she's always wearing dresses and like look at you know furrowing a brow and raising eyebrows and 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 to say she's not a particularly great actor, she I think she plays it well. She goes at it with enthusiasm. She never falters, and like in terms of what she should be doing for the character, she's doing it. And with I mean, a better director, perhaps she could have do. Something well, this good, is but... this is something I, I don't think it's fair to judge anyone's performance in this film other than Tommy's, to be mm. honest, because. What material were they given? What the hell was the direction? Like, what was going on on set? I could buy anyone in this film was actually a capable actor in the right hands and just not, like... The atmosphere on set was very much of, like, why are any of us bothering? So they weren't trying that hard. I mean, Greg Sestero particularly, I mean, you can literally see it in his face. He's, like, just wants to die. Mm. Uh, (laughs) He just doesn't want to be there anymore. And some of his scenes... You can just see how little energy he's putting into them. The thing is, they were all getting paid quite well for the level of film that this was. Well, that's uh, the only reason anyone was there. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, no, it wasn't a passion project for anyone apart from Tommy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. There's a there's a story in the book where Tommy Wiseau's auditioning process was basically going up to someone and go, "You just won a million dollars. Go." 
<laughs> and then they had to like, and then they would they would go. I'm sorry, excuse me. I'm I'm here for an audition. <laughs> and yeah. and he go, you're rubbish. Get out. You must be a me- react immediately. <laughs> and then, <laughs> which is why the actors who got cast are the ones that would go. Oh my god, a million dollars! That's amazing. Like that kind of acting. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that might explain some of the casting choices. Okay, what about this? Um, uh, this film treats cancer with the disdain that it deserves. <laughs> don't give it any respect the first battle is the psychological one act as if you're going to beat it and you will beat it this is a positive yeah it's showing you know have a positive mental attitude towards your cancer and it'll help yeah don't even worry about it just say don't worry it's the medical advances are great these days you're going to beat it in fact don't even mention it again exactly it's like you don't <laughs> don't be scared of terrorists because otherwise they've won same thing with cancer. You just get on with your life. But they don't, because then they just go back to talking about how Lisa's pissed off with Johnny. And yeah. They, they, then she's exactly. really inconsistent, because sometimes she hates him, sometimes she likes him. And I don't know if that's intentional, if that's <laughs> supposed to be like a conflicted character trait that she herself doesn't like him, but then she can't bear to hear other people bad-mouthing him. Well, he, yeah. here's another thing. I, um, yeah. You know how I rail against sort of normality and uh, the sort of oppressive system that tells us how to live our lives? Yeah. Um, oh, we, really? We, that, oh. We're supp- <laughs> that we're supposed to have a set format uh, of uh, have a relationship, have a family, uh, work for yourself to death. Well, this is why I like Lisa. She's railing against this. She, she is, everyone around her, and especially her mother, is saying, you need to find a stable man who can find security. Yeah, but Alan, security. she's the villain. And she's like, no, I do not love her. Yeah, but she's I not. do not that, love him. That's not portrayed as a positive quality. It's portrayed exactly. as villainous behavior. That's why she's having to fight against the system. No, her, her fighting the system is portrayed as villainous behavior. I don't even think it's against the system. I just think she's, yeah, I, I don't even know. She's psychotic, isn't she? Or well, I'm trying something. to find the positives in this. <laughs> well, I think oh, you right. just found <laughs> another negative. No, no, because I'm spinning it on its head. It's sort of like saying that Michael Myers is rallying against the, you know, social Conditioning, uh, conformities yeah. by knifing people to death. Yeah, but all she wants to do is leave this guy that she no longer loves and no one will let her do it. She's not mature yeah. enough to break up with him, yeah. Well, that's another question I had, because at one point at the end, they, she said they've been together for seven years, but she's only like 22. Like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> He's at least 20 years older. Mm. <sighs> well, yeah, but obviously Tommy Wiseau's character is also only 22 years old, so... <laughs> so it was fine. And yet he's incredibly successful in his work, apparently. What is he? He's a banker or something in the film, Well, he, he works for a bank. <laughs> oh, okay. And he makes them money. But we don't know how. Mm. But yeah, Lisa is a dominant, sexually powerful woman. Like this, this is mm. why people don't like her because society isn't ready for. Yeah, her. like that. That's great. But again, she's the villain of the film, and the film portrays that as a negative thing. The film is not <laughs> presenting her as a strong, like female character to aspire to. That's the way you're seeing it. I, I think Johnny is the, the villain. He's really. Yeah, he's he's. He's he's got this woman that he he controls. Uh, he's losing control over her. She's she's starting to become too independent. His job isn't going where he wanted it to. So he starts drinking. He hits her. Like uh, like why are we supposed to be on his side? He doesn't hit her. Though. Bullshit, man. <laughs> exactly. He did not hit well, her. 
<laughs> he makes that point very she, she's clear. psychotic and <laughs> makes stuff up just to control him well the interesting yeah. thing and that's clearly because that's clearly how the film wants you to read it and i know you're you're being very clever and <laughs> cracked.com about how you're reading well the no film. well that's interesting how you, everyone says that she lies about him hitting her that's not necessarily the case she says he hit her and it's when he was drunk. He doesn't remember. He says he didn't do it, but he, he was drunk. He doesn't remember. And we see him many times pushing her, uh, throwing her back when she's trying to get away. He, he he attacks other people physically as well. He's clearly prone to anger. He smashes the room up, his bedroom up. Prone to violent like, anger. It's completely, rash, yeah. completely believable that he would hit her when he was had a drink and take the oh, edge yeah. of control off. But I, I mean, I think it's very clear that. And the nobody film... believes her. Is it any wonder that she goes to more and more desperate <laughs> measures when no one around her will believe anything she says? I don't think she does go to desperate yeah, measures. She has, she has an affair with his mate. A very lazy. Yeah, she, she, she has, she has <laughs> to throw it. She has to literally throw it in his face. By the end of the film, she's basically going to him. Look, I need you to break up with me because you won't let me leave. And she's doing everything she can to hurt him so that he'll he'll let her go. I don't get a sense of him as a controlling boyfriend, though. <laughs> I mean, look, how I mean, is he uh, not? Well, Alan, Alan's putting all the pieces there and it works. But, I, I mean, it's very clear how the film wants you to read it. And that is that Tommy yeah. is a... Johnny, sorry. Johnny is, you know, the best guy in the world and a great guy and he's conflicted and he's got this cartoonish villain for a a girlfriend and uh, at the end it's a tragedy because he's driven to suicide by the uh, manipulations of a woman and and I think you know maybe maybe it says a lot about Tommy's psycho uh, (laughs) Tommy's psyche and his relationship with women and what have you that he paints the picture that he does intending it to be read a certain Mm. way when it can be read in other ways but I do think it's very clear how the film wants you to look at these characters and what it's trying to portray, which is not what you're well, uh, saying. And I think you know that too, Alan. I think you're being. I think. <laughs> I think. I think you're you you're just blind to the truth here because you're conditioned by the male gaze. You can't you can't step away from it. <laughs> There's another scene where Mark tells Johnny a story about a girl who was caught cheating and was beaten up so badly she ended up in a hospital and uh, johnny's reaction is <laughs> what a story mark <laughs> he laughs he laughs at a woman being beaten that's the sort that's your hero is it that's who you're that's <laughs> no who you're no don't put that with. on me it's tommy wiseau's hero um well the film ends with tommy wiseau's character shooting himself <laughs> he commits suicide and all the other characters are very upset and remorseful about driving him to his death, and that's sort of it, really. Uh, well, it, it's ends. a real kind of... <laughs> I mean, again, it feels like a passion project and, and like a vanity project insofar as the guy is, like you say, driven to suicide, and then it, it's a real, like, see, he killed himself because you were mean to him and you didn't value his friendship. This is mm. the this is the film equivalent of going, oh, if I killed myself, then they'd be sorry. Yeah, I was going it, to it's it's a <laughs> cry for help, this film. <laughs> a cry for attention, I suppose, but you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's like leaving a suicide note when you have no intention of actually following through with it. It's that level of that's how it comes across. Watching it, mm. you'll all be sorry. Well, Tommy Wiseau has, as I mentioned earlier, p- 
pitched about 50 follow-ups to the room in one form or another um, to Mm. various interviewers and said, oh, I'm working on this. This is coming out next year. None of them have ever materialised. Do you think he ever will, like, make a proper sequel to it? I guess these characters killed off, but then maybe that doesn't matter. I think he's foolish not to if he's... The thing Mm. is, it depends. It depends how... Like, the ego, again. If he is willing to just kind of take the piss out of himself and like mm. people will pay to see it. Oh yeah. Um yeah. but I, I I don't know. I I think I think he should and I think he's silly not to. He could make a lot of money. How would you follow up such a dreadful film? Well, sh- shall I go first? Sure. Sure. Cuz you kind of already mentioned one of mine and I didn't know that this was already uh an idea that Tommy Wiseau himself had, but I did actually have the um idea of making a Broadway musical. <laughs> um which would be a sort of sequel remake musical because I would pick up the musical at the very at the uh, very end of the room where uh, Johnny has killed himself and the police arrive in the bedroom and take all the characters into the local precinct for questioning following Johnny's suicide. Um, because the room has no logical structure, I'm going to use the police interviews to give it some kind of a structure. Um, but I occasionally want the police interviewer to break the fourth wall and talk to the audience a bit like the criminologist in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So the, we, we would sort of retell the story of the room, but rejig it a bit so that each character being interviewed would have all of their scenes uh, together in one. So we'd just get Denny's story all together in one go. And then, you know, um, maybe even a bit like a Rosherman sort of thing. We'd pick up different things from each story as we go along. Like we have the story with uh, the girlfriend and then with um, Greg Sestero's character and the contradictions and, you know, this police investigator trying to get to the truth and all that. And uh, Johnny would obviously appear in each segment. Yeah. So, for songs, um, I want it to be a jukebox musical, so we can, you, you can help me out a bit here, because I picked out a few songs that I want in boom, the film. Boom, boom, shake the room. <laughs> oh, that's a good yeah. one. Oh, that's that's what we can open to. <laughs> um, so I've got, uh, I've got Never Tear Us Apart, <laughs> which is obviously going to be during Johnny's big-hearted speech. Never, uh, about. What's, what's Never Tear Us Apart? What's... In Excess, right? Uh yeah. What? But I I was thinking of um, Love Will Tear Us Apart by that Joy Division. W- that would work better, I think. No, no, there is a song where the lyrics are "Never Tear Us Apart." Isn't there it? is. Oh, love, fine, love there will is, tear us yeah. Never tear us. That's what I say. Love will tear us apart. Never tear us apart is. I mean, I, I, it's a better song, but I think "Love Will Tear Us Apart" would work better in the context of a jukebox musical. I've got uh, "The World Is Not Enough." Which comes uh, after Johnny laments that he's fed up with this world. I'm fed up with this world. <laughs> is not enough. Uh, the chicken dance. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I've got Lisa's main theme is bad romance. And tragedy will come on at some point. Uh, so, any other songs that would? I was sort of looking at quotes from the room and thinking, like, oh, if, is there any songs that? But there, there aren't really any songs that match with, like, I definitely have breast cancer, <laughs> things like that. So, it's hard. Uh, that's why you want you want original songs. You can have one. You can have a song called "She's Showing Everyone Me Underwears," <laughs> or, or "Leave Your Stupid Comments in Your Pocket." There's got to be a dog Hi, song doggy. in there. 
like yeah. who let the dogs who out the dogs or how much is that doggy in the window yeah. something like that <laughs> um, yeah there must be a song about a red dress we can definitely oh, have that in there oh, yeah. like a million Roxanne. Red. <laughs> yeah. that's a red light Roxanne you don't have light. to wear that dress tonight <laughs> yeah you don't have to put on that red lady light lady in red by Krista Berg come on yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. obvious one uh, lady in red yeah what about uh, over the sex scene where he's dropping rose petals on her? You could have uh, kiss by a rose by Seal. Oh yes, that that'd be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, like that. I like that. What about when they're having sex on the staircase, stairway to heaven? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, very good. Yes, yes. Oh, this is good. This is good. This is good. Yeah. Uh... Who would you cast as uh, as Lisa? Um, Adina Menzel. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the Broadway actors. <laughs> oh, oh, Angela Lansbury is the mother. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, yeah, okay, there yeah. we go. I can see that working. Oh, God. <laughs> we'd get an unknown for the Greg Sestero part. <laughs> or maybe we'd just get Greg Sestero. Yeah, he'd be well up for that. As long as that Tom Bassell was nowhere near the set, he'd That's, be, he'd be that, fine. Oh, <laughs> God. They, they won't even... They, they can't even be in the same building. Um, yeah. But Tommy Wiseau is the prestige part. Like, who do, who fills mm. that role? That's like the... Uh, that's going to be the one that wins you the awards. Matthew Broderick. I, I, I'm I not think sure be Matthew Broderick's up to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I think... You want someone like Brian Cranston who's gonna like come in and or ah, depend, or is it like yeah. a, is it a comedy though? I mean, maybe you want more of a Nathan Lane. He's probably <laughs> too too old now. I think you want like a an actor who's maybe more of a film star and TV star who's kind of like no, I, I mm. want to do some theatre, get back to my roots. Mm. So you want like a like a Michael Fassbender or someone like that. Oh, Michael Fassbender, because you want someone who's gonna go method. Yeah. And live yeah. as Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> mm. Can we get Daniel Day Lewis out of retirement for this? Oh, wouldn't that be brilliant? I mean, wouldn't if any role be... is going to get him out of retirement, it's Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> my left eyelid. <laughs> well, that that that's that's my pitch anyway. <laughs> Can move on to one of you guys next. Mine is sort of um similarly sideways because <laughs> you there's just you, I, you can't do a sequel to the room i mean the, the well unless he is a vampire oh <laughs> yeah now you're talking mm. yeah i thought yeah johnny in the afterlife it's like beetlejuice but with <laughs> tommy was <Wiseau. laughs> <laughs> so um i i tried to come up with an idea that would just be an appropriate vehicle for tommy Wiseau, and what i've come up with mm. is would it realistically would be a sequel to this is spinal tap <laughs> so you got you get Rob Reiner in to play Marty DeBerge, who he's he's gone back to the world of music documentaries and he's decided to make this documentary about uh this like aging rocker who's on tour who will obviously be played by Tommy Wiseau. Mm. Um now basically this is all designed to suit the talents of Tommy Wiseau because he can't act, we've established that. And I think it worked better in an improvisational kind of atmosphere uh, where you just sort of get good improvising actors around him who can fuel him because he won't give them anything back. So let, <laughs> let them, so have people good at what they're doing and who can give, get, feed him so that you can, mm. you can get something going. 
But then, like, I think it would suit his personality quite well. Like, you just have him as this kind of arrogant rocker who's past his prime, but still thinks he's the bollocks. And then uh, put him in situations where he'll get aggravated. Can he sing? That's not really <laughs> important. Um, but you're gonna I have to have a few doubt it. scenes of him performing on stage and like yeah, Stonehenge is, he... is too small. Things like that. <laughs> but, but he's supposed to be kind of past it. Like that's that's part of the the idea. But his look suits that of an aging rocker. Um, yeah, he looks like Alice his, Cooper. Yeah, and his bizarre speech patterns you could put down to like drug use. Like Ozzy Osbourne. Mm. Exactly, yeah. But the reason I sort of thought of this was because I watched a clip on YouTube of um, from the from a TV show called La La Land. I think it's called oh, La La Land. Yes. It was the Mark Wotton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that, in this clip, Mark Wotton is one of the characters that he plays. He's kind of a kind of Sasha Baron Cohen style comedy characters that he goes into the real world and does them. And he's making a film, a short film with Tommy Wiseau. And he's like he? co-directing, or he's acting in it. I think the conceit of the the character. What Tommy Wiseau was on La La Land. Yeah, it's onto YouTube. Um, oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I just chanced on it, but the the character is like. I think the idea is he's trying to make it in Hollywood, and so he puts his money into a short film that's being directed by Tommy Wiseau, and he's acting in it. But then he's trying to take over, and he's trying to do things, and Tommy Wiseau's arguing with him and stuff like that. He's actually like hired Tommy Wiseau to make this short film for the purposes of the La La Land then. Is that right? Well, I presume... I don't know. Yeah, I presume so. Because the way it comes across, it doesn't feel like Tommy Wiseau's not in on it and it's all improv- and it's all real. It feels like improvised acting. But Tommy Wiseau comes across... He's playing himself and he comes across as a better actor <laughs> in that because yeah. I think it's not, it's not scripted because I don't think he can remember lines. <laughs> so yeah that's my idea I, the, the basic story would like start out as a look at an aging star trying to resurrect his career uh, and we're kind of laughing at him but then we kind of learn more we get to know his backstory we under- start to understand his behavior and the reason behind someone like he acts like a dick sometimes and then perhaps that the, the sort of emotional climax can be him reuniting with the old uh, band mates who he'd fallen out with or something like that that could be like your, your, your mm. climax um, but that that very much, again, came from reading the book The Disaster Artist, where you do get this bigger picture of who Tommy Wiseau is, and you you start to understand the reason why he so, acts so badly sometimes. And uh, I wanted to use that as inspiration, really, but obviously put it into a fictional context. Christopher Guest can make a guest appearance. <laughs> All right, Sol? I um, have basically steered clear of the room altogether. Because uh, you know what? What can you do with it? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I like, I like the idea of the disaster artist and what they're doing there. So I was thinking more about what James Franco can do after that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was thinking okay. we move on to the other best worst movie, Troll Two, um, <laughs> which is personal favorite. We'll probably do an episode on Troll 2 at some point as well, I think. But yeah, I was just thinking, um, make, make a film about the production of Troll 2 and, and you know, dramatise it. There's already a wonderful documentary, Best Worst Movie, which sort of details oh, that love film that. in, a, in yes. some capacity. And uh, it's full of fascinating characters. And I mean, it's it's just... It's it's hilarious the 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 director and the writer and the actors that is so funny 
and that that was a documentary produced by the child star of the film who's now an adult who makes yeah. films so yeah my my pitch is basically do a dramatization based on troll 2 much like they're doing with the disaster artist just dig into that film and so i've basically just got a whole load of casting here which isn't isn't great for anyone who's not seen troll 2 but uh i know you <laughs> you guys have haven't you you've seen it haven't you alan yeah yeah so i i would recommend anyone who hasn't seen it Wait until we do our Troll 2 episode, <laughs> and then come back and listen to this again after that. <laughs> and maybe watch Troll 2 if you want as well, because it is funny. Um, so the director, Claudio Fargrasso, who is this wonderful character who is adamant that the film isn't even bad, and when people ask him what it's like to make the worst, to be the guy who made the worst film ever made, he, he goes, worst movie ever made, you know nothing, you know nothing. <laughs> and like just gets angry and walks off. Um, casting, any any ideas from you guys? Javier Bardem. Ooh, ooh, that'd be good. I mean, I don't know if Javier Bardem can do an accent other than Spanish, but <laughs> I mean, we could rewrite the part, I guess. And then and then we've got Rosella Drudy. I said that weirdly. Rosella Drudy, uh, who is his wife, or was certainly his wife when they made it, and she wrote the film with him. And she's she's the odd uh, Italian woman who seems to have a real chip on her shoulder about vegetarians because there's a real anti-vegetarian uh. current in the film. Anyone who's seen it, for her, I was thinking Laura Prepon, who you might know from Orange Is the New Black. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, I know her. All right, then we've got George Hardy, uh, the dad, who is this old. Well, he's a dentist, isn't he? As as we see in the documentary, but he he played the dad in the film, and he's got a very kind of chiselled jawline. Hmm. Any thoughts, either of you, Carson? Chiselled jawline, uh, Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> I I was thinking uh, Harrison Ford. If you reckon you could convince oh. him to do some comedy, he did Anchorman too. <laughs> Isn't he a bit old for it? Maybe, maybe. I mean, well, also, maybe Alec Baldwin. Old, this guy looks, he kind of looks like a knackered Kevin Costner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think you get like an old <laughs> an old Hollywood great and just convince him it'll be a laugh. Uh, yeah. Right, you'll like this one, Calvin. Margot Prey, the mother, who is one of the most odd of the actors uh, oh, yes. in the documentary. She, she's definitely got some uh, stuff going on. Mia Farrow? Oh, no. I was thinking Meryl Streep. Oh yes, I Brilliant. think she'd enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. But is is there is there a part for Jennifer Tilly in this film? Um, there is that witch, isn't there? Because that's the way to go. Yeah, well, the witch, um, Deborah Reed, the woman who plays the witch. The obvious choice there is Helena Bonham Carter. But ah, uh, yes, of course. I I don't want to be so obvious. I was thinking maybe we get someone like Mila Jovovich and see if she <laughs> can do crazy. Give her an opportunity to act. Do you reckon she could handle that, Calvin? You've seen more of her work than us. I think, yeah, I think she could. I mean, I think she's quite great anyway. So, yeah, I think she'd be definitely up for it. Uh, There's Danny Ewing, who people will be familiar with as the guy who shouts, They're eating her! And then they're gonna eat me, too! Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, maybe Michael Sarah. He might be a bit old. Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's got the delivery down, certainly. (laughs) And then, yeah, just fill fill the rest of the cast up with uh, kids from Stranger Things in it. 
maybe Brian <laughs> Cranston can be the sheriff or something. So, so great. Yeah. Great. You know what, guys? We might actually have an excuse to do Troll 2, as it looks like there is a film coming up called Goblin 2, which is a German <laughs> film, but is going to um, star George Hardy as his character oh. from Troll well, 2. Well, there's, no, there's an actual... There's an actual troll film coming out. There's um Oh really? Oh. Troll One. Troll. Uh which <laughs> technically speaking, Troll Two doesn't actually have anything to do with. It's part of the yeah. Italian tradition of naming a film to look like it's a sequel to another film. It's got nothing to do with because Italian law didn't prevent that for some reason in the seventies and eighties. It seems to have stopped being as prevalent now, so I think they might have tightened it up, but that's why there were a million films called like Evil Dead Four and Five and Zombie. Uh, ah. the, the Italian name for Dawn of the Dead. There was Zombie Two, Three, Four, Five, and all these knockoff like cash in films. Um, mm. And anyway, so Troll was made, and I mean that's a fascinating film for a number of reasons. It's a real so bad it's good film actually in its own right. And you've got a young Julia Louise Dreyfus in there as a kind of mad wood nymph <laughs> running around. Um, huh. Probably most of interest is the young protagonist, who is called Harry Potter. <laughs> but they made this film well before J.K. Rowling, uh, huh. well before J.K. Rowling wrote her book. Therefore, they have realised they have legal claim to the name Harry Potter or Harry Potter Junior. And mm. uh, therefore, they are currently making an animated film, which is due to be out, I think, next year, called something like "Rise of the Rise of Harry Potter Junior" or something. Uh, which is obviously got, brother. yeah, it's obviously been funded <laughs> on the back of enough people seeing the name Harry Potter Junior, thinking it's a a film about Harry Potter's kid, and thinking, oh yeah, we'll go see that. And uh, <laughs> so there is a new troll film in the works. But yeah, what's next week? It's the start of Star Wars season. Oh, shit. Well, I'm very excited for it. It's a three-week Star Wars season. And we've already covered the three real Star Wars films, so like, what the fuck is this going to be? Left? Oh, come, come now. So what are we doing? We're doing the, the prequels in the late 90s. Yes. Then, Early noughties. Then the new one. The Ewok movie. Rogue One. <laughs> Rogue One, and then The Force Awakens. We're doing them in sort of chronological the order. holiday special. <laughs> I, I want to do the holiday special, but I was poo-pooed on that, so... <laughs> Thank you for listening, and if you're a fan of The Room and Tommy Wiseau, then I recommend the book The Disaster Artist by Greg Sestero and his arch-nemesis Tom Bissell. And if you're one of those modern, non-reading types then go and see the film version that will be coming out this week. We'll be going to see it and we'll have a review up on our website, dimreturns.com, where you can also get all our old episodes and get news and all sorts of other information. If you don't like what we have to say, then keep your stupid comments in your pocket. As you've just heard, next week will be the start of a three-part Star Wars season, starting with the prequel trilogy. Face it if you dare. See you next week. <laughs>